do we have a curiosity problem? I think, I think my, my hot take on that is probably yes. Out of the infinite choices you have, I'm honored you've decided to press play. With gratitude and humility, welcome to the top brand builders. Special guest today, Andrew Barry from On Deck, the program director. And um, Andrew, thanks for joining me. Can you just give us a little background and set the table for what On Deck is and what they do? Yeah, Danny, thanks so much for having me on your show, man. Um, so yeah, so On Deck is the Stanford in the cloud. Um, and what we're trying to build is a space for people to go globally. A global, it's a global company first and foremost, which is which is interesting, um, even though it started in the, in the states. Uh, and it's a place for for people to come together to learn through community primarily. Um, it started like the community piece is the central elements, and that's how it started was as a place for founders who have exited their companies, sold their companies. Um, or you know who worked at early stage startups and, and exited of them, out of them and go into this concept of stage of founders talk about it being on deck so it's like looking for your next thing so uh, the founder Eric Torenberg's idea is bring people together and let them find that next thing together and so it was wildly popular it started off as dinners when COVID hits it went online and it's just exploded since then as everyone's craving community mm-hmm. and most of the people who are in that space are like craving this or, or, or just, I think it identifies lifelong learners. So they constantly, they just want to keep learning. And we find people repeating uh, as fellows signing up for a different program. So the last six months of last year and into this year, we've been adding a new program pretty much every week. Um, we started getting a lot into the creator space now, which as my one is, is a fellowship for course creators. We have a writing one, a podcasting one, a community builder one. So a lot of these um, new creator-focused ones are starting to get added to the traditional founder, investor type portfolio ones that, that we used to have, or we do still have. Okay. So most of the courses are geared towards founders looking for their next thing, or is it for, or is that is that just how it started and now it's yeah. for anybody that wants to learn? That's just how it started. Now it's 100% the, the latter. And it's that's been our interesting challenge is how, one of the, actually the reasons I was brought in um, from an educational perspective is how do we make it more transformational from a learning perspective? So it's not just relying on the community, although that is the linchpin of everything. And it's true. That's true for learning as well. Um, but it becomes more than that. It becomes a journey that people can go through, a learning journey that they actually experience some kind of transformation. So become a better writer, but for what, right? For, for each individual, that's a different a different answer to that question. But we try and make sure that people become that at the end, individualized for each of them. You said that community is the linchpin for learning. So that's interesting because you you do see kind of different formats of courses. I think a lot of us have been introduced to the masterclass style format and mm. they have you know high production value. Um, and then on the opposite end, I, I know of like Seth Godin's alt MBA course, which I think is a pretty popular cohort based. So you, you guys have decided to go towards the latter of the cohort base. What, what have you seen, um, to be the pros and, and why do you say that's the linchpin of learning? Yeah. So I actually think like, I actually think masterclass is kind of a bit of a, 
I, I almost want to say I want to do a video. It's masterclass sucks because that's that's a little controversial and not quite what I mean because um, I think it's still they do a couple of things really well, but they put themselves out to be an educational platform. But I don't believe that they are, and that's the, that's why I think they suck. But I, they also do a bunch of others. What they do really well is they high production value, and they bring some ballers into into you know, a recording studio, and they put together an incredible two hour documentary of that person's creative journey. Um, and it's, so it's aspirational and it's inspirational, but it's not educational. And now people have told me like some of them are like the cooking ones are the, the gardening ones are because at the end you actually cook a dish or you, you know, create some kind of, you know, landscaping thing in your garden. And so that's great. I haven't done those ones, but that to me is transformational. That's educational. I've sat through a bunch of the writing ones that I was interested in and it's like, it's very broadcasty, right? And that's, I think what a lot of like traditional online courses were, it's just broadcasting information and it's great. Like it's awesome to sit down and listen to Malcolm Gladwell, Neil Gaiman, like these like amazing writers and get into their creative process and, and learn from them. But it wasn't super practical and like I couldn't sit through two hours of it, you know? So mm. I kind of, I just, I gave up on both of those. And that's what online courses, the, the first wave we're, we're seeing was super low completion rates, like 5%, mm. 10% completion. And what Alt MBA is a great example you pulled up there because that's kind of the catalyst. I think I think it's one of the OGs of the of this new wave, the second wave of online courses. Because what Seth Godin was doing with that was bringing together people and saying we're going to introduce accountability first and foremost. So there's there's the first answer I think to your question of why it's the linchpin. Accountability goes a long, long way because mm. um, you know it's like it's like having someone over your shoulder saying that you've said I'm going to do this thing and like the end of this week, I'm going to complete this assignment and you, you pair up with people and you do that work together. And so you don't want to let them down, right? So if you tell your buddy, you're going to go to the gym, you're far more likely to go to the gym. And if you just said to yourself, you're going to go um, and you wake up, you don't feel like it. So accountability is, is crucial. Then what we've, what a lot of educational research finds is we learn best. I think people know this intuitively as well. We learn best from each other, but you know, we learn from, watching each other we're very like mimetic species we copy other people right and we see see things we like oh try that out we get feedback from other people that becomes a huge element in it so you put something out there and you get feedback from people you learn from that feedback you do it again you keep improving it's this iterative process and then what's super interesting in the research is that we actually learn best from other people's mistakes so once we see someone make a mistake we we know okay we'll, we'll avoid that we'll do that a little differently and so being around people who are also doing the thing you're doing and being in a space that's designed to make sure that you are interacting with people like in that learning space just accelerates your learning so much so i think those are the two main reasons it's it's so important now to go a little bit deeper on that i'm curious so yeah we learn from other people's failures that makes sense what I've seen with some other courses, I took a, a video making course and you go through the course and then they really promote the Facebook group after. And there's people at all different skill levels in that group. Um, when you're deciding, well, one, is there an application process to get uh, into these, these courses that you're um, uh, putting on? And two, yeah. are you trying to weed out or I guess group together people of like skill level yeah it's such a great question so uh, the first one 
application process is I'm like, I'm literally having this debate with someone right now and there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, there are some courses, some big online courses that just, you you know, they have a, a window that, the, that the, the cart is open, right? The checkout. And you go in there, you pay your, your, your tuition, you pay your fee and you're in. Credit card goes through, boom, you're in. Um, and that has worked extremely well for a lot of courses that I've done. And the quality is, hasn't suffered because of that. Um, at on deck, what we do is we have an application process. So it was quite difficult for me at first when I came in and and having to like go through this. I, was, I sort of I felt I wasn't sure how valuable that time would was to spend to go through and interview people. I my two weeks mm. ago I had like my calendar from nine till five, just like fifteen minute increments, like with a fifteen oh. minute break for lunch, just yeah, like yeah. full on the whole day talking to people. But you know what? I actually realized that I got to. I had this responsibility to pick the right people that were going to make the community stronger because of what we were saying earlier, like because of how valuable, important that community is to the success of everyone in it. Um, and so I, first of all, love that um, responsibility and rose to that. And then also just like talking to these people who were telling me about their course and what they wanted to achieve and how they think they could give back to the community gave me so much energy and, and like, honestly and it's the feedback as well it's helped me design a better curriculum which i've been working on this week um so so i found a lot of value in that process it's not scalable right like that's the that's the problem with that i wasn't able to interview everyone even though i would have loved to so after i did those first couple of weeks i had one of my team do it and now we have another person doing it um so i think i don't feel strongly either way i think both those have merits and you have to decide as an individual like you know, I think if you find you're getting, if you're taking the the first route that you just take the credit card and you go and you find that the quality, like really pay attention to the quality of the individuals coming in. If you have any concern about that, put it, make it an application process because that, you know, that changes everything. And then maybe you can always go back to, to the, to the launch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then your second question was, uh, Oh, trying to um, group together. Grouping. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So also super good, uh, it's just important question there because there's two things that happen in an online course um, in terms of groups. There's a destination group. There's actually three. And we talked about accountability. So accountability is like that one-on-one, like me and you are both students. We're going to like team up and say, we each work on our own stuff, but I'm going to check in with you. And like, how's it going, Danny? And vice versa. And then you got the destination at the other end of the spectrum, which is the the course creator putting on the content, teaching people the thing. Here's the twelve steps. Here's the framework. Here's the you know the way to get whatever it is you're going to get at the end. And then in the middle, you've got journey groups, and this is super super important because anybody in that student body or in that cohort going through it is everyone is going to be on a different stage of their journey. And yeah, you'll absolutely find similarities and ways for people to group. To, 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 to form groups, but this needs to happen organically. So you, what mm-hmm. you don't want to do as a course creator is push people into groups that they don't feel comfortable in. They don't feel like it's a natural fit. So it's actually super easy to do. You just create a, a bunch of opportunities for them to meet each other early on and just like maximize the you know connections and then let those groups form. And then you just basically create, like we're going to have, th- these work really well as mentor sessions. So like I'm going to have two weekly sessions that I do as the destination stuff. And then we'll have seven mentors that will each run a weekly session. And anybody mm-hmm. in the cohort can go and join one of those. They can go join all of them if they want. You can go to the same one every week. You can mix it up. 
but it's opt-in and it's there where it's like a smaller group of people, 10, 20 people. And you're talking about like, oh, like I just need to figure out, you know, I don't know, with writing imposter syndrome is a perfect example. Like people just talking about that is not all the steps to become like a published writer. It's like, shit, man, I'm just dealing with like imposter syndrome right now. And so that, and so that's the benefit of the journey groups is you can get just that next step. Sure. Yeah. Um, a broader question as far as where you see on deck going, I guess I've seen these course creations kind of as, um, almost they can be scaled infinitely, but now what I'm hearing from you with this cohort style model is, do you see yourself being more of a, um, like a university type online rather than a infinite scalable anybody can you know self-pace yeah so um i probably should be careful what i say here because we've been talking about a lot of stuff behind okay. the scenes right now okay. and so yeah. um i'm gonna just sort of check myself and before i start to put stuff out there but um we're playing around with both ideas I i'll say that um i think it's super interesting to have a way there's so much knowledge and, and specific knowledge right Ex unique expertise that we have coming through our various programs from people who have signed up as fellows what we're looking at now is how do we help them i have this i believe uh, in a future of superstar teachers right i think everyone who's able to help someone one-on-one -on -one, like you like even now like with you in this podcast like you um have been teaching people essentially through this podcast for a while now and that I that means to me you have an online course in you. Like you mm. the only thing separating you from doing that is learning how to teach. And it's like any skill. You can you can learn that, right? Someone can help you package your ideas, structure them in a way that that flows as a learning journey, um, you know, teach them in a way that is sticky and, and helps people get a transformation. And and you've got an online course. So like I think it, that's the that's the exciting thing. We've got all these students or fellows in, in our in our community that can turn their knowledge into courses. So we're exploring what that might look like. Um, that would exist within this ecosystem of our fellowships, which is like you said, a university type experience. So there's very much like on deck is the campus, and then you go and you do your your fellowship on writing, and we do like a lot of cross, you know. So that the podcasters and the and the writers will get together and do events and socials yeah. as well. And so it's like it it definitely has that element to it. It's crazy, man. It's a it's a bright future, and it's it's fun to think about. It's a, I know, that, right? You're really creating whatever you want. Yeah. Um. So, from a standpoint, say okay, say although I don't love the term, but it's thought leader it's understood okay mm -hmm. say so there's a thought leader out there um a lot of thought leaders use books to gain credibility and then they'll go and do their speaking tour or whatever yeah. they'll just write a book do you think is there going to be a transformation of thought leaders creating courses instead of writing their book yeah uh that's so funny man i just I, this week i saw a friend of mine eric jorgensen um has a he has a company or like a project called course correctly um which is a, a review site for for uh for courses and in 2019 he wrote that online courses will be the next books like mm -hmm. i and I, I read that i was like holy shit that's so prescient like how did he even like you know it was like almost two years ago that he wrote this and so I think so. Yes, I think it hundred percent is. It's it's a way. So, so many things at play here, but 
I don't think books are going away. I'll, I'll say that. I think that, in fact, in, a lot of people start with a book because the structuring of a writing of a book and structuring of a book is this very similar to structuring a curriculum. And so they, you know, they're one and the same. You can almost do the curriculum, turn that into book and vice versa. So I don't think it's going to go away, but I think it's going to become as viable um, as a book to be able to grow an audience, to be able to, to, to you know, become a thought leader. Um, it has some other elements that a book doesn't have. It has the ability to connect with people, right? Like if you're doing it, especially the live cohorts, you, you're going to meet a lot more people. You're going to bring them together. You're going to create a community around you. Whereas with the book, it's, you know, you don't know, you don't like, you don't know what's happening where people are reading your book. It's interesting that I just finished up a book now called small giants that had a community that developed around the idea but that was that's very rare, right? You don't often see that. But obviously, I think with a course community, like we said, is 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 fundamental. So, I think that's interesting, and it kind of to me goes back to like Kevin Kelly, one thousand fans, like the the sort of idea of like you want those that smaller group. Like volume's great, so like top of the funnel, but like you want that small, uh, smaller, further down the audience uh, funnel audience that will buy anything from you because they trust you because mm -hmm. they've learned something from you because you've helped change their lives. So I think the future of courses are, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I want to get your thought on say hypothetically that on deck becomes, you know, a, a Stanford, the Harvard, whatever. And it courses pop up as these universities, is there a real opportunity to take market share from say the traditional university route? And if so, is there, an, do you think there's going to be some sort of uh, accreditation or some sort of governing body that um, legitimizes these courses that will allow, you know, that give a different, um, we'll give them like something to stand down when they're going to get a job. You know, everyone says I paid for this piece of paper. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Dude. Uh, so I, I've been, this has like been one of the main things on my mind in the last week or two. Um, so there's, so, the, okay. So this is inter super interesting space. So the way those accreditations work is they're licenses. So these bodies like the European commission and I guess some federal body here in the States, like grant licenses for educational institutions to be able to accredit degrees. And then there's a bunch of like requirements, like there's, you know, a committee has to review the course content. It has to you know meet a certain criteria in terms of hours of learning. And sometimes there's a proof of work element. And so it has all these standards, right? And you can imagine that's super bureaucratic and, you know, like you have to like, you have to have a PhD on the committee, for example, to mm. be able to credit these things. So there are institutions, so, so these licenses are super valuable. And there's a company um, that we've recently started talking with. Um, actually, he, the founder of this company was a fellow of OnDeck previously. It's called Wolf University. So it's one example of this. They've bought a bunch of these licenses and they have the ability to accredit courses. Um, and then you can then basically like think of them as building blocks to build a diploma and then a degree and then a master's. You can like construct your own uh, program basically. And those credits can't like if they currently mostly have contacts with the European commissions, they can't like Harvard, Stanford universities here will, will count those credits. So you can go and then complete your degree at, at one of the, the local um, colleges. So 
so I think that I some some answers yes. Like there is there is nothing stopping online courses, independently created online courses, from getting accredited. Like that, I'm now convinced of because of this understanding that space more. Um, and so it's just a matter of the. I think the only the only thing that's holding uh, that the final domino to fall here is companies and and hiring managers recognizing because so that's the last piece right is that they look at okay you have a stanford degree it's like an immediate like filtering mechanism i have these thousand applications i'm going to filter like which ones came from these colleges boom now i only have 20 to to go through um and so it's once companies start to recognize the the fact that like proof of work is more important that um yeah, like that, that these that these sort of non-traditional accreditations are, are, are carry weight. Um, and I think that's is changing. I think the like startups are already doing that, right? They will mm-hmm. take people right out of college, they'll give internships, apprenticeships to people, and it's an amazing career path. You know, we actually have a whole mm-hmm. fellowship around that as well. Um, and, and so I think it's it is definitely changing. I think the new economy of companies is, is already kind of embraced that. And I don't think it's long before a lot of other bigger companies realize because it's at the end of the day, talent's a, a, a scarce resource, right? So they have to eventually change or otherwise they just don't get access to that talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you speak, I'm trying to think of other threats or obstacles. Maybe like the government would want, they're not quite inci- incentivized to help a credit because they get these all the student loan debt that they mass yeah. up and they make the interest. Maybe that would be an int- uh, a problem, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, that's, Who yeah. Knows? It's fun to sort of think about what, what things, what other dominoes need to fall in this space, because I think now at least the proof is that it's there, like it's actually possible. So now we're having this type of conversation. Um, man, this conversation could go so many ways. I'm going <laughs> to, uh, go one way to, I want to talk about the creator economy mm-hmm. and just types of people that you think should be creating courses, types of, uh, I guess, what, who, so you said I have a course in me. Yeah. And I'm flattered. Thank you. Um, who else should be thinking, you know, I have a course in me. Say you have very specific knowledge. What are the steps to yeah. get that knowledge out of your head and into the, uh, the public. Yeah. So that's a great starting point, right? So specific knowledge on some, in something. First of all, then first thing you want to do is make sure it's valuable to people. So the best way to do that is to help people, right? Just offer that, that service. So now, so or immediately that includes all coaches, consultants, anybody who's already doing that and getting paid to do that. Right. Um, but if you're not in that position yet, just go and start helping like your family, your, your friends, the, you know, I let's you. I mean, let's use st- setting up a podcast as an example, right? So if you you know how to do that in 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 and out, go and help a couple friends on how to do that and get them up and running, and learn from that. What questions do they ask? What stumbling? What where do they find challenge? What you know? What what challenges do they identify? So you start to build up your curriculum in your head. Sort of using air, air quotes here. Um, of like the, the typical problems students have, the, the the questions, all that sort of stuff. And so you're starting to fill in this picture. The 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 reason you're doing this, this is why it's so important, is that as an expert, as someone like 
say, you know, you've been doing so many podcasts now, you know exactly how to do it, is you have certain assumptions, leaps of understanding, like you've forgotten what it was like to be a beginner, right? So that's, that's the, the, the reason to do that is to see, to learn from a beginner what they struggle with and start to fill in the gaps in your understanding that you've like almost just taken for granted now. Um, and so, so yeah, so once you've done that a few times or over, you realize, okay, I can actually help people. This, these are the steps and these are the challenges. This is where they tripped up. Now you basically have a curriculum. Um, now what I would recommend to do is you, you need an audience, right? So I always say like, best way to do this is just provide that value for free. Just provide insane value to people. Just keep doing that consistently, right? Put it out on Twitter make youtube videos just teach people the thing and then eventually you'll find like that small group of you know 10 fans that will that will come around your content and again help you improve it give you feedback and keep getting better and better so you're building the audience on one side um i think once you've got to the point where you've got a few people that you can help in a group is set up like a beta cohort basically just get some sort of and charge people a few like a, a small amount i think you should still charge because people have a bit of skin in the game but you charge like mm -hmm. a very early bird you know discounted rate just mm -hmm. to get the the reps of teaching because then that becomes a whole different beast um and once you've done that a few times you you have content you've got like basically like lessons that okay this is you know this i keep i keep repeating this one thing like this is now a little lesson um, and so you're building up your content, you're building up your audience and you just sort of, it's a little flywheel. You just keep throwing that stuff out there, keep getting more people interested. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's honestly it. And then, you know, at some yeah. point it becomes, then you sort of put your head down, you go full course creation mode. So one limiting belief that I know I've battled with when creating content is just like, why would I do this when I can YouTube something and, uh, and it's probably already out there. Like I know Tim Ferriss has a 20 minute video on how to set up a podcast. And it, yeah. I feel like that would probably be a limiting belief for a lot of other people. What would you say to that? Yeah. Cause no one can. So two things, no one can set it up like you can. Um, and that's, so some people are just going to, because maybe they've listened to you for, for a couple of years now and they're just like really dig the stuff you're putting out there. And, and I'm talking broadly now, anybody listening, right? Right. Um, and so they want to learn from you because this is another thing, like being a superstar teacher, being any teacher, like people have to trust you because learning is a journey. It's a commitment of time. And it's often not clear right away that you're learning anything. So you have to, there's always a dip. There's always a dip, right? So you have to trust the, the person. So Someone, so I mean, okay, Tim Ferriss is a is a bad example here because he seems like a very trustworthy guy and he has a massive audience. I think that does trust him, but that like, if someone's built up a long term relationship with you through your content, they're going to trust you first and foremost. So they, I think, that in that case, would prefer to learn from you. Okay. Um, the other part to it is, I'm just trying to remember now. It's slipped my mind. So it's building up the trust. Um, oh, is people pay will pay for implementation. That's the that's the big one, actually. Uh, you can you can make the argument of any topic that someone has done a video on it, someone's put together a blog post, someone's, you know. But and this is why I say provide insane value for free because all that content out there is great. But it, unless you're an exceptional student and you like 
you know have read ultra learning and you're just like very like into learning and you can be disciplined and do deliberate practice and all that you need you need accountability you need a community you need the guidance and feedback from someone who's been there and done that in other words you the teacher uh and that's the part that's that's uh worth paying for so that's why i say like put all the content out there get people in through the door and then they'll pay you to help you help implement that just one more question along these lines something very tactical is there a platform that you would suggest people to start on is there kind of like a clear front runner that is super easy or i don't know yeah no, they they actually there's a bunch that are um pretty easy and intuitive to set up um so uh, you know teachable kajabi thinkific podia uh virtually uh, a few that come off um, the top of my of my head but honestly it, it's each one has a little nuanced difference they all they say they do everything but they don't actually so it's worth doing your research and sort of seeing you first got to start with like what do i need do i need do i need the marketing side built into the platform so like there's an email list and lead capture and stuff or do i already have that on my website you know i just need like the you know the student thing it, it's the, it's that's the starting point um okay left turn from your standpoint as an educator or facilitator of education does america and i i guess the world in general do we have a curiosity problem hmm. and if so or if not i guess what i'm getting at is are you targeting only people that want to learn or are you trying to create courses that would interest people that are not currently interested in learning if that makes any sense yeah, that's actually a very interesting question. Do we have a curiosity problem? I think I think my my hot take on that is probably yes. In that I think it's still a minority that are you know we exist in this little Twitter bubble um online and that's also the mostly the people that I'm involved in online courses with and see on courses and stuff and so everyone there is like a, a learning obsessed and is creating content and learning in public and all that sort of stuff but that's still the absolute minority right i i can look you looked every i think look back look into your life and see you know some friends who who don't really care that much for that sort of stuff i know a lot of colleagues that when i used to work at, at companies definitely didn't care about that stuff they just mm -hmm. wanted to punch the clock and, and get home and, and do you know whatever which is totally fine right i guess i'm not knocking any of that but yeah i think there's a minority that is curious so i think that's a very interesting idea and is that a problem that part i don't know probably right? Probably like, I just see the benefits of being curious and being asking good questions and learning and then sharing that in public. And I just think that's the way the world is headed. Um, so yeah. And so are we creating courses for people in that boat? Yes. hundred percent actually like that. And that's actually quite an interesting thing to reflect on. Like, are, are we creating content to draw people in or are we creating people, you know, content for people that are already ready to commit to the, to right. the process, right? I think we look go back to masterclass. We we're talking about like they very much focus on that drawing people in, right? It's an educational mm -hmm. Netflix, um, which is great. That's why I say like it's not a bad thing. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's 
probably arguably a better use of time than watching something on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then, so so yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I don't have a good answer on that. Like maybe there is yeah. a, a way to kind of bridge that gap and get people more interested in the idea of learning before they, they dive into your topic. Well, Andrew, I want to just maybe switch gears a little bit and because and learn a little bit more from you about your journey because you grew up in South Africa. Yeah. How did you get here? Why did you come to? You're living in New York right now. Yeah, yeah. What What's that story like? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in in Cape Town uh, in South Africa, uh, and then 11 years ago, I got an opportunity to come with a company I was I was working for at the time to come here for two years. Um, and so South Africa is just one of the most beautiful places you can, you can live in. Um, it is also like on the tip of Africa, it's in like the bottom of the world. So you do feel a little bit disconnected from, from things, which is good and bad. Right. So I I love going back there every year now. It's like the, one of the best vacations you can, you can hope for. And there's so much to offer there, but growing up there, I felt a little bit in a bubble, um, in terms of being connected to the world, being in the center of the action, you know, mm. um, and so that's so that drew me to the when I saw this opportunity come to New York for two years, absolutely. Like, I, and I actually was it, it it was like sold as a New York thing, but it turned out it was in New Jersey in like the in northern suburbs of Jersey. So, <laughs> um, so that was like okay, yeah. So to figure this all out, you know, lived in Hoboken at first, I was like close to the city, and then I moved into the city and just commuted to work. And it was the best decision ever because that was why it came here was to be like in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man. So I just, I did that for two years. And then um, when my time was coming up, they're like, I, you know, they're, they're new. They're, they're like, you're not coming back, right? You're not, you know, because the whole like deal was that they had to keep a, a role open for me back in South Africa. But I was like, you know, we're mutually agreed. Like I'm, I'm staying, I'm loving it here. Um, and so they, so we, we worked that out and the company sponsored a green card and, yeah, the rest is history, man. So I've been here for like eleven years now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, what what skills? I guess. So actually, before I ask that, what what um, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, alluded to it as being more connected to the world. But how would you compare, say, like, say the learners of South Africa or people that um, I guess society as a whole. Mm. It's kind of a meandering question, but like. Society as a whole, like South Africa versus America, or just take take that question however you yeah. want it. <laughs> um, I, so there's a there's a cool thing in South Africa. So South Africa is um, it's a messed up country, you know, from its history, right? That there's um, a a white minority that that oppressed the black majority right up until like the the 80s, you know, like till recently. Mm. Um, and so that dynamic, like first, you know, here there's definitely, there's been oppression, but like, it's been the ma- the majority oppressing the minority. Um, it, you know, so there, so there's, so that dynamic is, was flipped in South Africa. Now the, the majority, the black majority is in power. Um, and so there's this white minority. And so there's just, this like, I'm not going to comment on that cause that gets into a lot of political stuff, but it's just, the dynamics are just really weird and different there. Mm-hmm. Right. Despite that, there is despite a lot of problems and it's not perfect there's a lot of optimism and a lot of just like yeah i'd say like very optimistic country like it's very like uh punching above its weight a little bit and there's a bit of an inferiority complex that like south africans bring to, to the world but um but it's you know it's it's got this 
um, this punching above its weight thing. It's also got a lot of like a, a very strong community element. There's a concept in South Africa called Ubuntu, which basically means I am me because of you, right? Like recognizing that that connection. Like we don't exist unless we, you know, um, w- without recognizing each other, or we don't exist without that counterpoint, right? You don't like it would be a void. So, so that has um, is in some parts of South Africa created this really strong community where. Um, you know, there's parts of South Africa where like there these community financial like outside of the banking system, like people just put money into this this called a stock fell, but it's like this thing and it helps the community. Like if anybody's in need, they so people just contribute wow. to it and anybody like can 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 benefit from it. So it's just it's just very different, you know what I mean? And it's like mm. um I can't really compare the the two, you know, the states and, and here. I think they both have have pros and cons. Well, one interesting thing, maybe I'll just I'll end off with this is that I found the humor was very different. It was like one of the biggest things I had to adjust to coming from so especially the guy Sorry, like, sorry, what what? Humor. Oh the humor. Yeah, oh, the humor. Oh, especially okay. with guys. Like so it took me a while to like really get along with American guys on a on a level that I was used to back home. And it was mainly because of humor. Um and so like it, it was funny. Like I can't I can I could never be able to like pinpoint exactly what it is. I think I think sarcasm plays more of a role in South Africa, um, like I- irony, like those sort of things. Whereas here, like I would try that at the beginning and it just fell flat. And I was like, shit, like what's <laughs> what's going on here? You know, so, um, but you know, then like with anything, you started to meet a few people, became friends and then like, that's not an issue anymore. Nice. So reflecting back, I imagine you're probably mid thirties, somewhere in there. Um, like what would you, what skills have been most instrumental that you've learned to help your progression yeah that's that's a great question um i i definitely i mentioned a couple of times now but writing is so so key um i've always been interested in writing i've always enjoyed it and i used to write a lot for myself um so i think just that's a good start like i i mean to me it's such a great way to clarify what i'm thinking um to really like see if i understand something and be able to write it and try and explain and teaching is sort of also the same by the way um so I, but then also publishing writing like actually putting it out into the world that's looking back it's a very big turning point in my career was when i started to publish con- con- constantly consistently online mm-hmm. uh that was huge and and i so much has happened because of that that i didn't plan for that just like that like awesome relationships through twitter and uh business opportunities that have come in because someone read something i wrote and um, so that that's huge. I, I think that's such a cornerstone uh, skill. Um, the ability to speak and in, in public is is also one. Like I used to be absolutely terrified of that. Like sweaty palms, like just freaking like out of breath and everything. Um, and so I really worked at that. I took some online courses, you know, like you were saying, and um, just got better to practice it. Um, and so that that's been a big one. Um, I think the other one is this is going to sound like very like airy fairy maybe and all encompassing, but like just understanding how people work and like, and like focusing on relationships. And I found that is the best way. Like I have a team of five people now in curious line and um, I love spending time with them and I don't ever feel like I'm telling them what to do. I, I think I've learned how to, inspire them and empower them to do what they want to do, which is still within the, the guidance, the, the, the strategy that I have in mind. 
Um, and that comes down to just knowing them as people, knowing what, like, what they're interested in and knowing what makes them tick. Um, so I think that's a, a crucial, crucial skill. Those, those are great. If you were to, I guess, give advice to your a graduating, say a graduating senior, is that are those what you would give advice to or what kind of advice would you give? Yeah, uh, I mean, <sighs> well, one thing I'd say is go listen to David Foster Wallace's this is water speech because he like no one has ever done it so well in terms of describing what the difference is between real life and like student life and college life um that is just it's amazing um so so i would start definitely check that out if you haven't um but i'll pick the i'll pick one of the ones that i mentioned definitely just start writing like start a personal blog i i have a one-year-old kid right so i bought him a his his domain name with you know, a website with his name um right when he was born and i'm excited to give that to him when he's sort of old enough to write like i think that is just so so key like get a, an online presence get uh get publishing just put stuff out there and like don't worry about like tra like traffic and views and stuff just just be consistent like, get into the habit of mm -hmm. being consistent and putting that out there because man like I, I have a podcast as well and everyone i talk to on that show like so, so many started writing online early and it's just like mm. and they're like all doing amazing things now it's like wow you can trace it back to to that same thing that a lot of them were doing well and i really appreciate you taking the time and joining me here um is there anything that i didn't ask that i should have or anything that you just want to leave the audience with yeah i i mean so first of all thanks for having me man you're an, a great question like conversationalists I, I really enjoyed this mm -hmm. I, I like the Thank line of, of questioning um Thank you. yeah i would just want to reiterate the point i made earlier like if you are helping people now in, in any capacity and you're able to do that in a repetitive way you you have an online course in you like you can teach and there is to me no nobler thing than teaching others than than sharing what you know and teaching others how to do it mm -hmm. as well and i think the world would be a, a much will will be like i know it's going to happen uh, will be a much better place when we have more of these superstar teachers out there sharing their knowledge with people. So, yeah, yeah I'm excited for that. That's awesome. Nice. Andrew Berry of On Deck and Curious Lion, thank you so much. Thank man. you, Danny. Appreciate it, man.